and welcome to episode 26 of our unofficial SAP on Azure video podcast. Today we have January 28th and together with Robert and Goran, we're here to talk about anything related to SAP and Microsoft. Hello, hello everyone. Hi. So last week there were quite a lot of news in the SAP and Microsoft context. Um, first of all, there was this extending the partnership or the announcement about extending the partnership between SAP and Microsoft. And then there was obviously the SAP Rise event. So as always, we will take a first quick look at um, these news items, but then I have the very great pleasure to introduce you to Hans Reuter, who will take us on a journey of how um, Microsoft is running SAP. So I'm really looking forward to that one. But again, before we get there, um, let's quickly take a look at some of the things that were announced. Um, the, the first one it was actually end of last week um, when SAP and Microsoft announced an extension of their partnership, of our partnership. Um, and we, we talked there about um, integrating teams, but also um, leveraging Azure in, in more ways, uh, talking about um, integrating or simplifying the whole deployment of, of SAP systems on Azure, helping with the migration, working on eventing and stuff like that. So, so quite a lot of topics. And the thing why I don't want to spend too much today here is that um, probably next week in, in our podcast, we'll have someone um, from the core team, I would say, that worked really with this whole partnership um, with us on the podcast. So um, she will hopefully be able to help us um, get a much, much better picture of what's actually um, part of this, uh, this um, partnership, this renewed partnership, I would say. If you cannot wait till then, then I think um, Christian Lechner in his My News Wrap, he had a special episode um, actually almost immediately after the announcement. So obviously you can listen and, and watch him um, summarize um, his um, uh, side of the, uh, the, the equation or looking at from his perspective, what um, Embrace 2.0, as he called it, um, has in, in, in store. But he also collected quite a lot of links that I think can be really interesting um, to, to get a good overview of what actually happened. So with this, let's put this aside again next week. We'll definitely focus on this um, much, much more. So let's take a look at the other thing, the Rise with SAP event. Um, I, I knew some things of this event up front, obviously. I mean, Satya Nadella um, was one of the um, key participants, I would say, or the key guests um, of this event. But there was also a lot of other um, announcements. Um, um, Christian Klein, I think he had a very good um, intro session there where, where he talked about RISE with SAP, where he introduced the concept. And I have to admit that I struggled a little to understand what exactly um, RISE with SAP is. And I mean, in, in the meantime, I, I did a lot of reading and two things that, that really helped me get a better understanding of um, what RISE with SAP is are these um, blogs by Diginomica. Um, so Dan Hallett um, um, wrote a very um, extensive blog where he talks about um, what RISE is. So it's not hack 2.0. Um, and and yeah, he outlines basically what um, RISE with SAP is. And in the end, I mean, it's, it's, it's a completely new offering. It's a bundling of certain um, services. So um, there's infrastructure in there. There's obviously the product. 
there. There's a transformation in there. There are the business technology platform is embedded, but also then um, SaaS services. Ariba um, is, is is part of this bundling. So um, this this block really outlines this in a in a pretty good way from my point of view. He also quotes. Um, yeah, the, the different user groups, so the UK user group, um, the, the DSAC user group, um, and uh, yeah, he also shed some light from a from a partner perspective, from a development perspective. So I think this is this is a fairly good and extensive explanation of um, what RISE with SAP really is. Um, if you want to have it in a little more um, condensed way, then there's this um, blog or this Rise with SAP FAQ by John Appleby, uh, who, yeah, outlines this really in, in, a, in a nice way, um, really. So what's the history? What's the problem today? This adoption, the digital innovation with S4 that a lot of customers just make a migration to S4 and that's it. They don't really leverage the, the benefits of a, um, of, a, of a digital transformation that can come with S4HANA. So this is also a really nice FAQ that really um, yeah, explains how uh, the, what the benefits of RISE with SAP um, are actually um, available. So if you want to take a closer look, I can definitely recommend these two blocks. There's one other block from um, Jürgen Müller who talks more from a development angle, um, um, introducing or talking about um, why it's so important to have the business technology platform. Also talking about um, sunsetting the term um, SAP cloud platform. So now really focusing on the business technology platform. Unfortunately, there's a lot of other renaming now. Um, so the SAP cloud platform um, integration services are renamed to integration services or SAP integration services or something like that. He, he talks a little about um, new packages or new um, scenarios, how they work together as part of the um, business technology platform now, how they yeah, belong together with the sub analytics cloud with the other um, SaaS offerings there. So it's a it's a good block that um, talks about how yeah mainly the business technology platform obviously takes a very, very important role um, in yeah in the in the new way forward, so to say. So also definitely a very interesting um, block to look into. And one last thing that I had um, just released um, this morning, um, Christian Lechner again, he um, wrote a nice um, blog about um, integrating Office with SAP. And those of you who, who know me, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this Office integration. I mean, starting from a simple workflow that you can um, um, approve and reject in, in, in Outlook to obviously We, we know with it, Holger. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. So, so my no, we job noticed, here is done. Right? It, it's noticed. not. It's not first time that you mentioned that. By the no, way. So, no, you know. So we know. It. Only, <laughs> only once in each session. Only once. Okay, I get your oh, point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll be a little more um, relaxed next time. No, but it's it's really nice. I mean, oh, this good. is really nice because it's he's really putting this into a business content and yeah. context, and he really outlines. Look, this is how the process was before, um, talking about um, different manual steps that are required, jumping between systems and stuff like that. And then he um, turns everything around and says, look, um, how does it look like if we integrate into Teams, if we are using Excel, if we are using Outlook and really working with the data in these tools. So, so helping the end user to work from 
the tools that are currently living in, in Excel, in Outlook, in Teams, and whatever, and then from there interacting with SAP data. So I think this is definitely a very interesting block. <clears throat> yeah, because for many users, they were uh, rotates around the office, around the Teams, you know, so these kind of integration are absolutely just on a mouse click away. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one question. So do you think that, uh, Holger, that SAP now finally the opening the borders? Not, you know, SAP is traditionally always talking about integration, but it's always in in-house integration. Yeah. So do you think that they fin finally opened that and they are really now talking about in integration, which means, OK, I don't care if my data are going somewhere else because still I'm the leader of the business data or you think it's not yet there? I don't know, to be to be very um, honest. Okay. From, from my point of view, I mean, um, if you look at the API Business Hub, they are exposing more and more data. They are um, opening up and it is much, much easier now to do exactly these scenarios that that, that we see here. So it's really getting the data in, in office or something like that. Whether it's also as easy from a licensing perspective and from a compliance perspective when, when working with SAP, Time will tell. I, I think. Um, yeah. I think. It, I mean, look at Microsoft again. Um, I, I I still very much remember when I was SAP at SAP that um, Microsoft was pushing for. Look, you have to use Outlook. Outlook is the the UI that you need to work, or don't do anything else. And in the meantime, more or less, Microsoft there, doesn't care. Everybody is using Outlook. <laughs> no, yeah, maybe that's the case. But but I think even more importantly, um, as long no, as I get it, yeah, are using course, APIs, as long as course, I'm using the Microsoft Graph to access yeah. my Outlook, Microsoft more or less doesn't care whether you're using the Outlook UI or you're using just an API to connect to my um, to my services. And I think SAP should do it the very same. They should yeah, not yeah. care if I'm using a Fiori yeah. user interface or if I'm using Outlook, as long as I am accessing the SAP system and right. not Salesforce or something else. Yeah. So, so let, yeah. Let's see how this will evolve. Yeah. Okay. But I think so. This all this office integrations obviously is, is very important and it's playing a very important role when it comes to also running your SAP systems on Azure, and. One other thing, whenever I, I started to work at Microsoft and I, I talked to customers about running the benefits of running SAP on Azure, one of the key highlights always was that we could say, look, look at Microsoft IT. Microsoft IT is also running SAP on Azure. That, that means whatever you customers will go through, Microsoft is also going through this. And so very early when I, when I joined Microsoft, I learned from Hans. I, I watched a few of his presentations um, when he when he was talking to customers, and I was always blown away. So I'm I'm super honestly I'm really happy that we have the honor of of having Hans here in in our blog um, in our podcast. So with this Hans, um, maybe um, I, I would like to hand it over to you, and maybe you can introduce yourself, and then I'm really looking forward to to your presentation. Well, thanks, Holger. Um, first of all, thanks for the invite. Uh, it's awesome to be here. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I watch it every Saturday morning, and you know, you always see me commenting on this. I think there's so much information in there. Uh, I think it's great. I use it to stay up to date uh, on a lot of things as far as cool. SAP on Azure goes. So it's great. Thank and 
Yes, I do think <clears throat> the fact that Microsoft runs their own SAP installation, and it's a large installation, I'll show you that in a moment, on their own cloud, that's a huge benefit to us, right? We we have been running SAP for 25 years. It went live in 1996. It's been running on Azure, 100% on Azure for three years now. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's great. We, we learn a lot internally. We, you know, we're able to give feedback to the product group. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's one of those uh, well-known secrets that, you know, we, we interact very closely with the product group and then also with SAP IT, right? Because as you yeah. know, SAP is running their own footprint on Azure as well. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to hear, give an update. Um, we do this frequently. There's a whole team behind this. Uh, you know, we have an in-house basis team. There's an architecture team and we frequently present these. Uh, these slides, and I think it's great. We always keep them up to date, and here is the latest and greatest. Uh, I hope you can see the slide. The idea was... Awesome. The idea was to do a quick intro, what we have um, as far as SAP products at Microsoft, how we migrated them to the cloud, mm -hmm. and you know the lessons learned, the best practices, how we optimize cost, which is important for us. But then also, like, you know, that's just the first step. We're also in the middle of our S4 HANA journey. Uh, like so many customers, we have both the old NetWeaver and new S4 systems. And uh, I'll give you an update on that as well. And, you know, please, if you have any questions in the meantime, uh, just chime in. Okay. Thank you. Great. So going to... Azure or moving from on-premise to Azure was part of a bigger effort to modernize our SAP system. It, it was part of a overall digital transformation. And really the goal was to, you know, reduce some of our custom uh, functionality that we've created over the years. Uh, I said a moment ago, we have about 25 years of SAP at Microsoft, which is great, but, you know, no surprise there's been some customizations along the way and also you know 25 years ago some of the functionality didn't exist so our goal is to get to standard to reduce customizations and wherever possible let's use some of the sap SaaS services you know for example ariba ibp success factors concur and and so on and so that was a huge push over the last few years and you'll see that in a moment what we use today there was also a goal to stop the silos between the different IT groups. We used to have a development team, a tester team that was separate, and then a separate support team. And again, that wasn't really beneficial for, for quality uh, and, and kind of a for modern way to, to create business functionality. We smushed all these teams together into one DevOps engineering team. So today, uh, the engineer who envisions, designs the functionality together with our architecture partners and program management partners, he or she will then implement the functionality, you know, configuration, ABAP, will test it and then operate it in production as well. So, you know, this there's this instant feedback loop on, you know, business customers uh, experiencing issues occasionally, and then we can directly learn out of this in our lifesite reviews and funnel that back into the development cycle. And so that has been absolutely amazing. 
I can tell you, for example, in my team, we're reducing production support tickets year over year by at least 30% because wow. this DevOps wow. loop, yeah. this DevOps loop yeah. feeds, you know, feedback back into the development process. Um, we're also a lot more agile. Uh, we used to run these big quarterly releases four times a year. If you missed the boat on that, you had to wait for another three months. Of course, in a modern consumer-driven world, that is, you know, that's just not good enough anymore. So these days, uh, about two-thirds, roughly two-thirds of our functionality get released daily, weekly, monthly. And then, yes, we still have those quarterly releases for like a big enhancement pack upgrade or or something like that, but a lot more agile. And this is also something where Azure has really helped us because if you want to create a, a quick little MVP system or a proof of concept system in Azure, that takes hours, right? You The hardware is there automatically. You can just say, hey, I need you know a database, some app servers, and you can quickly build a system. And on premise, that would have been very challenging. So, mm. you know, that whole push for agility. Um, Another thing that we're doing is we're focusing much more on tangible, measurable business outcomes. And that also includes a lot of metrics, a lot of monitoring and telemetry, and then highlighting those in you know dashboards or in what we call operational key results, OKRs. Uh, and that's where Azure Monitor helps us. And if you go out and maybe we can put a link in the description, there are some great blog posts and articles about how we're using Azure Monitor internally. And uh, this is, I think, an area where internal Microsoft IT or CSE as it's called, has really been helpful uh, funneling feedback and even doing some of our own development uh, and making that available. And this is all fully available to our business partners. And you know, ultimately the goal is to see system metrics you know, funnel up into business process metrics where you can kind of end to end look at the business process. You know, when your sales order was created, when it posted, when it, you know, got delivered, when it was invoiced and all of that. And you can see trends that help you prevent incidents. So for example, if you see, you know, batch job runtimes or transaction runtimes slowly creep up, mm -hmm. hey, it's perfect opportunity to kind of forecast when will it hit a critical threshold and you know should we something should we do something right now to prevent that incident from happening and you know we do a lot of this on azure data lake where we dump all the data into a, a big database and this is where machine learning and ai i think open a lot of possibilities as well is there anything you can do in a predictive way to to see patterns before they really you know have customer impact so this is great uh for us and really for us, moving from on-premise to Azure was the enabler for a lot of these things. It wasn't, uh, you know, it's not a direct must-do before you can do anything else, but it really allowed us to move faster and, and just kind of lower the bar of entry for a lot of these things. Um, you know, like machine learning, AI, you don't need to have, you know, you don't need to program that yourself. Just use some existing functionality in Azure, and, and that's what we did. Um, so... That was the main push, modernizing our SAP footprint. And I'll show you what the footprint is, first from a business view and then from a, a kind of SAP product and um, uh, application point of view. So on the left, you see our different main business streams. 
And then these boxes, these green boxes are our SAP products in Azure for the last three years. And then also to the right here, you're seeing some of these um, uh, SaaS services that we're using, you know, Ariba, IBP, Concur. Uh, and as you can see, we, you know, we have uh, lots of different. Everything. <laughs> yeah, almost everything. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, you name also... it, you, they have it. You name it, they have yeah. it, right? True. Um, you're also seeing some S4 systems here, mm -hmm. right? Or some BW4 systems. Um, so I'll show you, uh, I'll move to the next slide and I'll show you more of the traditional SAP overview where you see modules and, and products. Everything that you see in blue is the, the classic NetWeaver stack. Uh, this runs on Windows and SQL Server. Everything is in Azure. Everything that you see in green here to the right, those are the SAP SaaS services. And then everything you see in orange are HANA-based systems. And they run with the database on SUSE Linux and with the application servers on Windows. And again, everything is 100% in Azure. And uh, if you look closely, you'll see that some systems, for example, you know, master data governance right here, exist in an S4 world, but then we also have a master data governance system in uh, NetWeaver. And so you can see we're, we're right in the middle of migrating from our, you know, can I say legacy NetWeaver stack to the S4 footprint. And I have a few more slides there uh, in a few minutes. Um, and, you know, this will go on for a bit longer and eventually all these NetWeaver systems will slowly sunset and go into archival mode or read-only mode and um, and will be in the new S4 world. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just like any other customer, right? I mean, that's you're right. really going through the whole migration transition phase. I see Central Finance, S4HANA, Central Finance. I think that's also something that a lot of customers start with, obviously, when they, when they do S4. So yeah, right. really like any other customer. For us, I think it was also important to get to Azure first because mm -hmm. once you're in a very scalable, very agile cloud environment, it's easier to do things um, like migrating from NetWeaver to HANA. You know, like I said, these sandboxes, proof of concept systems. Uh, we didn't want to do this on premise and having to buy special HANA hardware or or things that we knew would be, you know, unused in a you know short time down the road. So go for us going to Azure first and then doing our NetWeaver to, to HANA migration, I think was key. Um, maybe one other word to our HANA migration. So like I said, we've been doing this for 25 years. Our business model has really changed. 25 years ago, we had, you know, boxes on shelves. You would buy the, you know, the brand new Windows 95 or something like that. And, uh, and we had, you know, pre-installed Windows 95 on, on OEM PCs. Um, these days, our business model is completely different. It's more like a, you know, like a cell phone type uh, invoice. You have flat fees, you have usage fees and those kind of things. So naturally, I think a lot of the business processes behind that, you know, especially also in finance, uh, have changed a lot uh, to be able to do more granular cost and, and profit attribution and things like that. And so we're taking this opportunity to do a greenfield implementation, maybe greenfield with a few little brown spots, where we said, you know, you know, we have our existing big ERP system, we're building 
greenfield in parallel and then pull functionality over. Mm -hmm. Upgrading our big ECC system directly to HANA wouldn't really allow us to re-engineer our business processes. And then, of course, you also ha would have that problem of uh, quite extended downtime for a system that size, and that would be impossible to really absorb in our business environment. So parallel, greenfield, in some cases, you know, brown spots, and, uh, and really using the opportunity to re-engineer business processes, get more modern, and, you know, like I said in the very beginning, get more to standard and take advantage of those new capabilities. Yeah. <clears throat> and for me, it's interesting. Sorry, on, uh, on your uh, HANA system, you mentioned you are still using a Windows there on the application layer quite intensively, and because it uh, offers a lot of benefits there and good integration on that right. side, right? Yeah. And, uh, a lot of our internal tooling that the basis team, you know, scripts and things like that over the years, it works, right? Why change it? Yeah. And of course, right. we're now doing the same thing for SUSE <clears throat> Linux. So you mentioned you mentioned this uh, during the migration in S4 HANA direction that you somehow tried to optimize business uh, um, processes, improve new one, uh, introduce new one, and so on. How that uh, reflect to infrastructure? Did you also take a chance to s somehow optimize your future infrastructure? For example, there, that you have more application server, less application servers. That's not like that's that. a great. That's a great question. I'm going to say I'll answer that in maybe like okay, four or five great. slides. Uh, well, but you're absolutely you. right. right. This is a perfect opportunity to look at, you know, should you take this one big ERP system and move it to one big HANA system, or maybe for agility reasons, split it up and go go a bit more granular. And, and that's what we did. So I'll cover that in a few slides. But Hans, you, you talked about the big ERP system. Can you share some numbers on the ERP system? Awesome. You must have seen a slide deck before. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that's a good question. Uh, it's it's a massive system. Um, I mean, like I said, this runs on NetWeaver and SQL on on Azure. Um, you know, this is a 65 terabyte database. Uh, now we we compress it. Uh, we're taking advantage of SQL compression, but still, I mean, 24 terabyte in a compressed state is yeah. is massive. Um, this is. 140,000 users, you know, named users are a little lower because we do use a lot of APIs, a lot of BOPIs, you know, the SAP business APIs. But it's a massive system, billions of transactions every year, um, trillions of dollars go through this system, trillions with a T. Um, so it's really, it's, it's huge. And um, the one thing that I think uh, is really awesome on Azure, you know, we've, like I said, we've been on Azure for three years, but from a platform availability, you know, what, what do we see at the OS and the database level uh, in raw availability is almost five nines. Mm. Um, as you know, Azure guarantees four nines with the availability zones. Um, in reality, what we've seen is, is closer to five nines over the last three years. Now, and you are in the zones, right? You're, yeah. you're stretched across the zones. Correct. And yeah. I believe DR you have as well as a Correct. strategy. Yeah, we cool. have lo cool. local high availability and then we have DR. And I think one really good point is we exercise our awesome basis team. We exercise that DR once a year. 
uh, to make sure it really works. We we fail over, we run there for a day, we fail back. Um, unless you exercise it, I don't think it's really worth anything. Practice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, right. Double check it's working. Um, and, and also, I think it's it's good that the, the basis people that are doing this failover, that they not only do it when it's really critical, when something is really going wrong, but, but they, they can practice basically and just confirm right. that the scripts are all in place, the, 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 the books. Right. Um, <clears throat> maybe one, when we talk about my favorite topic, you know, Holger is on application integration, I'm on availability, you know. Uh, I remember you were mentioning in one of the really great session, Hans, um, I don't know if you are allowed to share the information. How how much would cost the downtime of uh, on Microsoft oh. systems in in a time where there is no special activities, and how much that would cost in a really critical I don't know end year yeah. quarter closure? Um, that was impressive, uh, as far yeah. as I remember. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a great question. So uh, a few years ago, we tried to determine that number with you know, scientific accuracy, and it's totally impossible because depending on where you are in your business cycle, uh, the cost could be phenomenally high. Like if if Microsoft couldn't report to Wall Street because you know our system was down with a big unplanned downtime, uh, the cost to Microsoft would be astronomical, right? Because you know there would be market impact, and you know it would make front front headline news, front page news. Uh, but on a typical day, roughly the cost we came up with with was about two to four million dollars per hour of unplanned downtime. Uh, you know, if there's nothing yeah. normal, uh, nothing uh, special going on, right? I mean, if this would be during a quarter close year year-end close, during a new product launch or other, you know, during a major acquisition, uh, obviously the cost would be much higher. And, you know, this is this is also direct employee impact. Right? We're running payroll. I mean, SAP is our corporate backbone. We do use a lot of dynamics, but, you know, the backend processes that's on SAP and people wouldn't get paid if, if SAP yeah. is down. So yeah, ju I just want to ask how that reflect to my bonus. Just asking, you know. <laughs> yeah, no SAP, no bonus, sorry. <laughs> no nothing, no vacations, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that right. the impact would be dramatic. And so yeah. we, we engineer for that. And you notice it's not 100% here. Well, because we do patching and, you know, we have uh, ways and by doing what we call the rolling maintenance, where you take application servers out, you patch them, you reboot them if necessary, you, you put them back into your server pool. We do things like that, but for the databases, when you switch between primary and secondary, there's a very, very brief unavailability. So that's why we're not at 100%, uh, but really close. Um, um, just full transparency, if you're looking at SAP availability, that is lower than these close to five nines because when you do an enhancement pack upgrade or something like that, you know, obviously you'll have um, SAP downtime even if your your OS and and database platform are up. Yeah, of course. So, uh, you know, why why did we go to Azure? Um, hey, it, you know, it it's 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 about the dollars, right? Um, so we have a very large uh, infrastructure budget and um, when you're on-premise, you tend to oversize and I'll go through that a little bit 
in more detail here, but multiple options to cost to save costs in Azure. And you know, I can tell you upfront we saved anywhere from 10 to 15 percent with our first migration to Azure and then subsequent refinement and optimization, uh, roughly another 10, 11 percent. So typically I'm going to say 20 to 25 percent. Now that does go hand in hand with a culture change. You know, I'm we're all IT folks here. If you go in with the old bigger is better and get the mm. most expensive and fastest server possible, if you go in with that mindset, you will not save any money. Uh, actually, Azure might be more expensive for you than on-premise. Uh, so you want to be agile, you want to be lean, you want to you know, tight size and be really close to the actual demand because it's Azure, you can always go bigger. Uh, and I'll, I have another slide here in a moment, but so cost savings, huge reason for us to go to Azure. Agility, like I mentioned earlier, right? To, to make IT an enabler of new business programs and new projects instead of a blocker. Right in the past, it was always, when can you have your SAP system ready? How long will it take you to procure the hardware? And, and you know, we were the blocker in many cases. And these days, we're an enabler. We can create little sandbox systems or guinea pig systems within hours. And the business, instead of looking at fake PowerPoint slides with fake screenshots, they can get onto the system and play with real data. And it's such an enabler. And obviously the, the requirements coming back out of a session like this are 10 times better than you know people looking at PowerPoint mockups. So, you know, it really, really helps us to to help the business. Uh, reliability, I just mentioned, right? It, it's way better than what we had before. And then security, wow. um, you know, Azure makes it very easy. Uh, lots of certifications, telemetry, lots of tools, you know, least privileged access, just in time access, a lot of things. And, um, you know, obviously Microsoft takes security very, very seriously. It's job number one. And so um, we're super happy with running SAP, like our mission critical corporate backbone on, on Azure. There is another big aspect, and this is the first and best. Uh, like we said in the beginning, we're not just talking about it, we're doing it. Um, you know, we want to be the first and best. And um, I think, you know, being the, the guinea pig, so to speak, sometimes, and, and working with the product groups allows us to feed, you know, ideas and suggestions and, and improvements back into the product group. And it also makes sure that the product is super solid because we ran it. And, you know, if there's any kind of bloody noses to be had, it was ours and not, not the customers. And so, and that, I think that works. Um, it's really been super beneficial. And, you know, we have a long history of doing this, you know, going back way, way early to the SQL Server releases. Um, and that was a big motivation for us as well. And and that's why uh, it took a while for us to get there. But, you know, three years ago it was done. So cost, uh, I think one of the things that's interesting when you size servers on premise, your servers have a lifespan, um, typically, you know, three, four, five years, whatever either the depreciation or the warranty period of your asset is. And so when you buy a new database server, um, you size it. In a lot of cases, you size it 
slightly larger or substantially larger so that it is still usable three years from now, four years from now, and, and so on. But what this really means is, you know, if you run your production system, um, you have a lot of a lot of waste, you know, these kind of these extra capacity uh, headroom that you, you don't need. And the business will never complain about this because if your SLA is two hours for a batch job and it finishes in one hour, awesome. <clears throat> If, if you're over-fulfilling SLAs like that, it really means you're spending too much money. And when we moved to Azure, our basis team is super focused on cost optimization. They size things now, maybe three months in advance. You know, a new guinea pig or sandbox system, maybe even shorter. So the, the sizing horizon has, has decreased dramatically. And so as a result, you know, the, the waste of these kind of, you know, over temporary over provisioning, uh, that's much smaller. <clears throat> and that's where we saw a lot of savings, you know, what we call the right sizing. So, now, so the probably <clears throat> yeah. you, you need to change the way how you operate basically in the cloud exactly. in order to get those economical benefit versus on premise, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. that's I mean, that culture change. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's my question and my point because I think you know most of the somehow customer complain, hey, this is SAP, this is a more or less monolith. I cannot change it, and I think it's more problem on culture changes than than yeah. SAP right. systems itself because you need to think uh, in a scalable way. So you need to change your culture. Yeah? So agile way to 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 really be able to recognize what you can optimize. Yeah? Exactly. And I mean, if you look at SAP, it's surprisingly dynamic, right? You have these yeah. server groups, batch server groups, logon groups, you know, like RFC groups, and you know, you can add capacity with app servers, you can take it away. Obviously, you know, wait until your users drain off and then take it away. You don't want to impact them. But there's a lot of flexibility. And I'll give you another example. So let's say you're doing, you know, uh, quarterly uh, financial closes, and then of course year-end is the big one. On-premise, you would size for peak load, you would add a little safety buffer, and that's that's what you would run off. You know, the whole year you would run at that peak, peak capacity plus safety buffer. What our basis team does now is they size up and down with the demand and. You know, Thanksgiving is a great example. That's a huge shopping weekend, lots of load on the system. They add a whole bunch of app servers into the system. They run at that higher capacity. And then, and that's the, that's the kicker, and then they take them away again. And so your, your you know, capacity afterwards goes down again. And, and that's how you save the money because you don't waste all this overhead capacity. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And on premises, you are, as you mentioned, yeah, SAP is there flexible. You can add stuff and log on groups and so on. But basically, you are stuck with the hardware that you have. And you need to order right. in advance to have it enough. And you need to be a little bit oversized because nobody wants to be blamed for the SLAs that you have a bad performance, right? Right. And so you have no choice. And every new hardware order takes time. And then you again, right. you, you think in advance, you know. So you buy it, uh, that upper left corner, 
red one it's it's huge you know for underutilized system so this is really yeah. beautiful example of of uh, using the cloud here or the infrastructure to in a pay-as-you-go model, yeah, just and to... Hans, Hans, when we are talking about this flexibility, so, I mean, you started almost on, on the beginning of, of uh, certification from, from SAP, all those HANA boxes and so on, so, and you start with all our first virtual machines. Now we have many other machines. Did you also use that opportunity to say, hey, this D-series or E-series, before now I have a new version, I would like to use new version because they have the C- same CPU memory ratio, but they have more subs and I'm saving money. Are you also uh, playing with that? If it's possible, yes. Um, yeah. Now keep in mind we're internal IT, so some we have some restrictions. You know, uh, I mean, the goal is always to give things to the customers. and um, But, um, uh, you know, for example, we can't use reserve instances in IT. Uh, okay. yeah. That's that, that's one of those things to drive culture change and to be very cost aware. But yeah, wherever possible, if we're seeing ways to increase capacity, save more money, uh, mm-hmm. we're looking at that. And I should say our basis, our awesome basis team is looking at that. Okay, cool. Um, I'll give you a couple more information, a bit more information about our Azure migration strategy before I jump into some other uh, operational aspects. So if you think about typical Azure migration strategy, it's what we call the horizontal strategy. And I'll jump to the next slide to kind of highlight this a bit better. So if you look at this, this is our SAP landscape at the time of the migration. You you have your you know, your SAP products as vertical columns, and then your SAP landscapes like Sandbox at the bottom and your development and QA systems all the way to production at the top, right? And and so that was kind of the, the way uh, our systems looked. And uh, we said, let's do a horizontal migration just like, you know, everybody else. You start with the Sandboxes and you kind of, Kind of, kind of work your way up the stack, right? And and so you you do that, but at the same time, we also wanted to accelerate some of the learnings in production. How do you patch a system and keep the downtime in in the cloud very low? How do you do this kind of shrinking and growing a system? And and you know how do you you know that only becomes real if you do it in a production instance? And so. We said, let's also do a vertical strategy where we decided let's just move, you know, some systems uh, dev all the way to prod. And I think we had four um, and just move them into Azure. Obviously, these are these were some kind of less critical systems, but this was a great idea because it accelerated learning. And, uh, you know, the team was very quickly to look at ways to automate it and script it. And so this kind of hybrid of the classic horizontal strategy with kind of some few cherry picked verticals worked really, really well. And, you know, in the end, by the time we moved our three big production systems, you know, like ERP, global trade and supply chain, uh, those were tightly integrated. So we kind of moved them as one migration group. By the time that happened in production, you know, it kind of was a non-event. and I'll show you the timeline here in a moment. But this, the whole migration took roughly a year. We did some early 
you know, guinea pigs and some learning, but then uh, the whole migration took about a year. And obviously, lots of lessons learned. I don't, I don't need to talk about bullet number one, um, but you know, number two, for us, that that latency critical traffic from one SAP app to another. You know, that's those are the migration groups that I talked about. If you have systems that are very dependent on each other, especially if you have business processes that go over multiple SAP systems, you want to migrate those at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, of course, same is true with upstream, downstream legacy apps or, you know, other applications outside of SAP. So that uh, as well. Um, this bullet number four. You know, with all these different Azure regions and just tons and tons of them coming online all the time, it's still critical, but, you know, it's becoming less difficult um, because you just have so many Azure regions now. Um, I think that was uh, back when we started, that was a little more challenging. A um, couple more I want to talk about. So this one, bullet number six, I think is is a great opportunity to save more money because when you're on premise and you buy, let's say you buy a new storage array, well, that cost is sunk, right? You're now depreciated, but that capital expenditure that that has hit the books and there's maybe less discipline around keeping databases small and keeping, you know, storage uh, neat and clean. And uh, when you're in the cloud, you pay for everything you use every minute. And so we did massive compression. You saw that earlier, right? 65 down to like 25 or 24. Um, and also some archiving, right? If there's data that you don't need in the system anymore, that's past your legal retention period or things like that, really think about that opportunity to archive it or maybe even delete it um, because then you don't pay for it. And keep in mind, whatever production data you delete, you will automatically, if you refresh your dev and test systems or your sandbox systems from production, you'll save it there as well. If you have a production local high availability with a separate database, you'll save it there, you'll save it on your DR side. So turns out if you delete it out of production, you're probably gonna you know, ultimately delete it out of like maybe six, seven, eight other systems as well. And so there's some substantial savings. Um, so, I'll uh, move on to the timeline here really quick. Um, we, you know, did some experiments. Uh, green is Azure. The shaded lines are the original plan. The solid lines are what actually happened. Uh, blue is virtual on-premise and red is physical on-premise. And you kind of see we're very slowly, you know, wasn't really going anywhere. Um, and then in February of um 2017 we said let's let's be serious um we had a lot of automation scripts done we were confident the product was ready and most important for us the m series SKUs were becoming available for our big databases and you can see from here on out it was you know one year straight up and microsoft's fiscal year runs from july to june so this was our year end close process and we we went live before year-end close, and um, yeah, it was it was solid, uh, really no issues whatsoever. Um, we overcommunicated with our business partners. We had very detailed. This is the plan for the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 
and then retro what happened over the last uh, 30 days, you know, full transparency on good things, on bad things. Like I said, by the time we went live, it kind of was a non-issue or a non-event anymore because, you know, people trusted us. And, and I think that's that's part of a critical migration. You you just want to establish that trust and over-communicate. I think you mentioned once, especially in the beginning, it was always only a side project. So if, if folks had time, they tried, they played with it and, and stuff like that. So it was just right. really a hobby or something. And I'd, I'd say that's not recommended. Uh, definitely, <laughs> you know, if you're if your company thinking about doing this, please make it an official fully funded project. Um, you know, and I, I have to say our basis team, they're naturally very growth mindset, you know, learning, curious. They wanted to own the infrastructure. Um, you know, that there was a lot of skill building involved, obviously. Um, and, you know, now Azure has some great certifications oh, now. Gosh. I think it was the AZ120 and oh. a bunch of other classes um, that didn't exist, exist uh, four or five years ago. But yeah, there's some, some great training now that makes it a lot easier. Cool, yeah. So um, I, I skipped over the, I, I'll just skip over a few slides here. So uh, cost optimization. Uh, one other thing that we're doing is we're snoozing systems. And I mentioned a few minutes ago that we can only get um, pay-as-you-go systems. And, and that's intended to drive that culture change, right? Mm -hmm. To really uh, push that. And if you look at these little snooze symbols here, these are all systems that are either snoozed on weekends or snoozed by default. Uh, now, you, you see here QA and dev systems are snoozed by default. So that means they're turned off. We don't pay for the infrastructure. We Storage persists, but we don't pay for the servers. And so what happens if a developer wants to you know, be productive and do something? Um, they have to go in and use a self-service app and you know, in this self-service app, they can drill down into a system and then go ahead and start the system. System will come up, you know, depending on what system it is. It may take a while, but uh, go ahead, start it, and then be productive. And then after a while, and you can configure that, um, it turns itself back off again. And this is this is real. Um, you know, there, there it is. I hope <laughs> Teams actually uh, doesn't blend it out. Or if you want to go and check it out, um, the source code, it's open source. It's actually available on GitHub. And we'll, we'll put the link in the description. Um, and this is, I think, a great uh, example of how, you know, our awesome basis team developed something. They thought, hey, this is really valuable for other uh, customers as well, and let's publish it and make it available uh, for the public. And uh, you know, I, I think you'll see more things like that in the future as well. And then, of course, that saves money too, right? Um, we're doing some other things. For example, for our disaster recovery site, that kind of runs on a very small uh, system, and so in case of a real disaster, the first step would be to upsize that, and you know. Yes, you add a few minutes to your disaster recovery failover time, but we're still we're still with an SLA. But by running at a small system instead of that full load that you don't really need anyway, that full capacity, right? Um, that's another way to save money. So lots of creative things. Mm -hmm. um, 
one quick thing about telemetry, since I mentioned that earlier, we using Azure Monitor together with uh, some monitoring out of SAP Solution Manager. And um, one of the things that we found super, super valuable is to take Azure Monitor data that, that kind of monitors the infrastructure layer and also some of the kind of the SAP foundational layers, you know, like, you know, anything internal from SAP, like, you know, batch jobs or, or things like that. We're combining that with some of our web services monitoring that's at the uh, web service layer, and then especially the the um, solution manager business process monitoring, and it allows you to very easily correlate, you know, SLAs or business process and business facing uh, events with any kind of infrastructure events, uh, and you can from one you can predict the other or the other way around. It allows you to do analytics, look at long-term trends, you know, are things slowly approaching SLA? Maybe we need to upsize something, you know, is there an incident um, or is there an incident about to happen that we can still prevent? And so there's a great white paper. Maybe we can link that in the description as well. There's a great white paper where, uh, you know, we go into more detail there. And then, of course, the other big story for us, HANA, right? That's a, that's a huge topic. And I think um, really the thinking, and this is where our great architecture team uh, has done an awesome job. Um, you know, initially you saw this big ECC system that we have. Um, you know, the initial very, very ad hoc idea might be, hey, let's just take that and move it to S4. Um, that certainly would work, um, but you would end up with this, this big, monolithic you know system yes we we have an api layer around it because you know like i said we have quite a few of these api and boppy um, sap business api users but um even if you extract a lot of data out into data lake for for some additional reporting you're, you end up with this big monolithic system and and the other thing is we have all these different business units that have different freeze periods you know like finance is very wall street oriented uh other business units they they have freeze periods when there's a new product release or things like that so it's a bit like a sandbox with some some children who are being asked to play nice with each other <laughs> and um, that doesn't always work and um to to make that easier we decided the best way would be to break things up where you have unique capabilities by system yeah. you know and and gain more agility and and really use you know some of the new sap products as well and you saw we have an s4 system for master data which will then master all the data in these other s4 systems which is you have a single source of the truth and it, it you know, provides a lot of clarity on who owns the data and where is the truth. Um, with reporting, you know, we're using BW and then ultimately the data gets funneled uh, into an Azure Data Lake and that's where you could also combine it with data from other systems mm -hmm. and, and get a one-stop shop for everything. And then, you know, of course, you want to keep everything in sync. Um, by by having this kind of um, 
you know, more granular approach, we enable a lot of agility. And I think this is key for us. You know, like I said, we're, we're rethinking some of our business processes and, you know, bringing business value where business can now act maybe a little bit more independently still mm. off the same master data source and the same, you know, reporting data, but uh, in a more independent and more agile way. I think that's yeah. key. Yeah, so if you patch or upgrade for logistic, okay, it will not hit other systems. If that, right. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, and the, the integration mechanisms, those those are usually very, you know, different version friendly, right? Um, so um, that will not break. And um, you're, you're able to, for example, if you want to install anything additional, you can, you know, go on the system where you truly need it instead of impacting everybody else and, so I think it's a huge business enablement for us. Obviously, there's a balance. You don't want to go with 20 different systems. You don't want to go with just one. So I think each business, each company has to figure that out. But um, I think it's a good concept. Um, well, and OK, there's central finance. Um, and then for us, you know, um, this is our current landscape, very similar to the other slide. Oops, I should probably update this. Um, I'll, I'll show you how that's architected here. Uh, we talked about that earlier with the zones uh, in our NetWeaver system. Same thing in Azure, uh, in, in uh, HANA on Azure. Again, you know, we have multiple zones. Uh, we have that local high availability synchronous and then that regional high availability that, you know, we do test once a year. And and that's how we get to this, this you know, close to five nines. And um, yeah, lots of other things that the, uh, Basis team is doing, and I think we'll, I think Holga, we talked about, we'll probably have some future presentations on on that, and I think that'd be, a, be great. Absolutely, um, and yeah, as as you said, I think um, this is a fantastic foundation, a, a first step, and I think this is this is already so valuable for 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 a lot of customers, and um, as you said. Microsoft IT is doing so much in, 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 in different areas and you're innovating in, in so different areas that um, there's so much content <laughs> that we can get from you. Yeah. So um, absolutely. Um, we, we already talked about a few things. So I, I think maybe in February already or even beyond that, obviously, um, maybe you we, we can find some time for you to um, join, maybe also obviously with other colleagues if you want. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then we, yeah. we can dig in, in, in some other details. I think that that would be really fantastic. Yep. I already yeah. have some topics here, which nice. other customers <laughs> are asking, by the way. You know, they want to reference customer. They have like zones is the topic just now, you know. Yeah. So as an example, so, you know, and which customers are using, you know. Okay, oh, Microsoft IT is using for itself, betting, you know. That's why I ask those uh, criticality of downtime, you know. So if we are doing and we are betting on Azure, I mean, my, we are fully uh, uh, allowed to ask others as well and give them the confidence, you know. By leading yeah, yeah. here, we lead by example. That's really the best way to do this stuff. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And I, I think uh, you mentioned that in your uh, uh, agenda that I, I think it is a very big value because most of our documentation reference architecture best practices are coming from my experience from Microsoft IT and SAP landscapes. Yeah, and I think this is huge value for us for quality of our documentation and also for for our partners and customers. Others, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, what I was always telling customers when 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 I was still a CSA, I, I was really saying, well, look, uh, Microsoft is running SAP on Azure, so so we are basically providing the infrastructure. We are running SAP on Azure, and then if you look at SAP, SAP IT is also running um, at least some of their um, SAP systems really on Azure. And I, what what I think is the most interesting thing here is that we're not doing this isolated. But there is a regular exchange where we where we share best practices with yeah. SAP, with Microsoft shares with, with SAP. And I think that's really something where we learn from each other, where we can um, where we hear problems from each other, where we share best practices from each other. And obviously all these learnings from SAP, from Microsoft end up in the documentation that we share with customers and partners. Yep. So I think okay. that's really unique. I, I honestly, I mean, if, if you look at, at, yeah. at others, we are really, really unique in there. And thanks to all the work that you are doing, Hans, this is also really promoted and customers yeah. learn from this. So I think this is extremely valuable. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really a team effort. I do have to say that the relationship between Microsoft IT and the product group, it's traditionally very, very good. Like you had Relitza here last week. She used to be in our SAP basis yeah. team in IT. Uh, you know, obviously you had Jurgen Thomas here. Uh, he's married to one of our key principles in the business team. So, so, I mean, so you have a back door there, right? Yeah, back door. You know, it's, back door. Uh, it's a great connection out that there. Way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, perfect. Um, Hans, thank you very much. I, I think we, we already took a lot of time from you, but I think this was really valuable, and I, I definitely think that we'll have you on the show again yeah. um, with other great informations. Yeah. So I'll thank you very much for this. Great. And we'll thank you. see each other again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye. 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 B